And I'm certain that there are some here today with questions. Can we make a change? Are things too far gone? Are our schools too invaded by philosophies of the Canaanites? Can we really make a difference? That's the sobering question posed by Dr. Tony Evans to pastors across the state who are attending the Family Foundation's recent Pastor Summit event. The good news is the answer is yes, we can make a difference if we truly understand both the responsibility and the actual authority God has given us as His kingdom ambassadors here on earth. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everyone. Thanks for joining us in this new year, 2024. Thank you for making us part of the first week of your new year. And what better way to start off 2024 than to get a fresh perspective on the spiritual authority we have when it comes to taking on this cultural battle that we are in, which definitely has spiritual components. Yeah, I this is an amazing talk. I can't wait for folks to hear this. But, you know, as promised, what we're bringing you is part two of Dr. Tony Evans's talk on the church, the kingdom and community transformation. Um, just to give a little refresher, I'm sure folks know Dr. Evans, but just to remind you, he is the beloved senior pastor at Oak Cliff Fellowship Bible Church in Dallas, Texas. And he's nationally known and well respected um, as a speaker and an author of more than 100 books. So I'm sure people have read some of his stuff. And in this this week's talk, Dr. Evans is talking about um, really a, it's a pretty compelling and thoughtful examination. Um, really, it's very theological um, about why it's not biblical for Christians to just sit on the sidelines and be apathetic observers of what's going on in the culture around us. Yeah, we're, we're not supposed to be benched. We're supposed to be in the, in the game. game. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I really found personally empowering his explanation of the words of Jesus, I will be with you till, until the end of the age. And what that means when you think about it on a practical level, as far as the spiritual authority that he has given us, we're not walking around as lone rangers. Jesus has promised he is with us until the end of this age. And it's specifically for this time. He's not talking about eternity. He's saying, I'm with you for, for this time, you know, for until the end of the age. So it's interesting to think about that. Yeah, I think this this talk gets to the heart of this, this authority issue that we have that empowers us, that it gives us the ability to not be victims of what's happening around us, to, but to actually exercise those gifts and those resources that have been given to us as believers in Christ. And I, I just think that he does a beautiful job of painting that picture. And it should change the way we go about our daily lives. It should change the way we embrace um, this battle that is in our culture. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, we are going to bring you the second part of Dr. Evans' speech. Using a number of football analogies that have been used today, <clears throat> if you are a pastor today in leadership today, you're part of the visiting team because we no longer hold home field advantage. The environment in which we are 
is booing us, hissing us, rejecting us, taunting us because we are the visiting team. When you're the home team, the crowd is applauding you, championing you, encouraging you. They're working against the opposition against you. When you are the visiting team, you not only have to play the opposition, you have to work against the environment. But even if you're the visiting team, you're still expected to win. Visiting teams are not expected to lose just because the environment in which they are playing is hostile. It is clear we are living in and seeking to impact families and children in a hostile environment against our Christian faith. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we, as pastors and leaders, win when the winds, when the crowd are against us? Jesus called a meeting. Only one scheduled meeting did he call after his resurrection prior to his ascension. There were numerous meetings, but only one was scheduled. There are five commissions in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Each one of them has a commissioning statement in it. But the most beloved and the most embraced is Matthew's commission because it it uses a word that none of the others use. It is unique to Matthew's thought, but instructive to why you have gathered here today and to the theme of your concern about what's happening in the culture and what we should be doing. Three groups attend this meeting. We're told in verse 16 that the 11 disciples attend the meeting. 11 disciples go to the mountain that Jesus had appointed. So it was a scheduled meeting. 11 minus Judas. We're told in 1 Corinthians 15 that more than 500 brethren attended the meeting. So for 500 people to gather at one place at one time means they were scheduled to be there. So we're either dealing with 511 or perhaps 489 if the 11 are part of the 500. But then there's a third group that attends the meeting, you and I. Because Jesus says, I'm with you till the end of the age. The age has not ended. So you and I have been invited to the meeting. So since you and I have been invited to, invited to the meeting, why don't we all mosey on up the hill and find out what the meeting is all about and how it relates to us and to our role. There's a worship service, we're told. They begin worshiping. There's prayer, there's praise. There's a Sunday morning kind of environment because it says the meeting began with worship. 
just as our worship leader gave us an entree to all the other things that would be happening to set the stage for what would happen when the pulpit was mounted. After the worship service portion is over, we're told a parenthetical statement. It says, and some were doubtful. Some had questions about whether all this would work, whether all this was worth it, whether the energy to do what they are getting ready to be told to do, had they get up and go, gotten up and gone. They had questions. But even with their questions, they showed up to the conference. And I'm certain that there are some here today with questions. Can we make a change? Are things too far gone? Are our schools too invaded by philosophies of the Canaanites? Can we really make a difference? That's when Jesus mounts the pulpit. He is the speaker for the conference. And Jesus says in verse 18, all authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. English translation, I'm in charge now. All authority is given to me in the sweet by and by, but also in the nasty here and now. All authority is given to me up there and down here, that I am the link between time and eternity, and I'm the link to all of it. The Greek word for authority here is instructive. The most notable Greek word in the New Testament for authority is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite from. But that's not the word used here. The word used here for authority in the Greek text is ekousia, and ekousia means power in authorized hands. It's the difference between a criminal having a gun and a policeman having a gun. Both have firepower, but only one has a badge. It has to do with being authorized. So Jesus is saying all legitimate authority belongs to me. So anything that disagrees with me is illegitimate. It may be exercising power, but it's unauthorized. So whatever we're coming up against that is against our faith and against the truth of God's word is unauthorized. And see, it may have some clout to it. It may have some, some pop to it, but it's not authorized. And when you understand that it's not authorized, you understand that it has limitations. As I said, the, the, the players on the field can knock you down, but the refs can put you out. Because while there's power over here, there's authorization over here. That yellow flag and a whistle can change the whole trajectory. Because even though outnumbered, they're authorized. You have to understand all authorization comes from him in heaven and on earth. 
And then he gives the commission. And he gives us this word that is only used here of the five commissions, mathetes, translated, make disciples. It is an imperative surrounded by three participles, go, baptize, and teach. Whenever you have that construct in the Greek construction of language, an imperative with participles, the participles are always designed to give the methodology for the imperative. So the imperative, it says, this is what you are to do by command. The participles is this how you get it done. He's talking to his leaders, the 11, the 500. This is what you are to do. And I'm also going to tell you how to do it. I want you to make disciples. But here's where we get a little curveball. Because when you and I talk about making disciples, we talk about discipling people. We talk about growing people in their faith. But that's not what the commission talks about. He says, I want you to make disciples of the ethnos, the nations. Now, obviously nations are made up of people, but nations are made up of more than people. Nations are made up of systems, structures, policies, and politics. Nations are made up of institutions that, that educate and that transmit knowledge. Nations are made up today of technologies and all used by people and all informed people. But he says, I don't want you making my commission too small. You see, it's this limited view of discipleship that has allowed people to get saved while still being racist and maintaining a system of injustice through slavery and Jim Crow. It is this system of limited discipleship that still allows people to go to church every Sunday and at the same time worship the idol of politics and divide the church along democratic and Republican lines. It is this system of a limited view of discipleship that has not allowed us to keep control of schools and to turn it over to Satan and then complain that he walks the halls. He says, no, I, I want you to mate taste, but I, I want you to think in terms of the esnas, not just and only the individual or maybe even the family as foundational as it is. But what is he asking us to do? Again, the word mathetes was not a uniquely Christian term. It was part of the Greek world. Perhaps some background will help us to, to understand what is being crafted by Christ in his sermon. Plato built a system of thought, Platonic thought, which separated the metaphysical from the physical. Uh, 
The spirit world was good, the physical world was evil, and he created this divide as a worldview. You and I understand that divide today as sacred and secular. It's that divide. A young student named Aristotle developed a logical framing of Plato's thought. We call that Aristotelian logic. He took the thinking of Plato and organized it and built schools around it. He named his schools academies. So wherever you see the word academy to a school today, it comes from Aristotle's structuring of Plato's thought. Aristotle's schools then begin to train people in Platonic thought through Aristotelian structure. As these students begin to graduate and enter the Greco-Roman world, you know it in your history books as the Hellenization of Rome, where Rome was the military and political power, but Greece carried the influence. And so this Hellenization of Rome where Greek thought would dominate even in Roman society, these students became known as mathetes. They were disciples of Aristotle who was a disciple of Platonic thought and they took the worldview of Plato into the Roman world. This is the word that Jesus chooses to use to describe what his followers were to be about. To bring up people into a way of thinking that would reflect his authority because all authority is given unto him. I'm in charge now. When Paul takes this similar thought in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, Paul says that all things are under Christ. All things. But then he says, but he's only been given to the church. Says he's over all things, but the all things that he's over doesn't know it. Only the church knows it. Which is his body, Paul says. And we are the fullness of him who fills all in all. That is, he is the head, we are the body, he's over all things. He's only been given the one thing, but as the one thing informs their followers, he's over all things. As they break forth, they are to take him everywhere. It is the dissemination of a worldview, of a mathetes. In our national ministry, the Urban Alternative, People ask around the country, we're on about 1,000 radio stations and uh, 1,400 radio stations daily and 130 countries, and oftentimes people will ask for a CD of the message that they've heard on radio or wherever they've, they've heard it. The way that works is I get up on Sunday and I preach a sermon. It's recorded on a master CD. That master CD is then sent over to our national office and is put on a master duplicator. Plugged into the master duplicator are slave units. The slave units produce 16 copies a minute that are mailed out to the people 
who have ordered the particular message on CD. When the message arrives at their home, they receive a copy of the master. Now they don't get the master because there's only one master, but they get a copy of the master. But the copy of the master is so much like the master, you could confuse it for the master because it's a replica of the master. We only have one master. All authority belongs to him, but we're to replicate copies of the master so that when people run into people who have been influenced and discipled, they have run into the thinking of the master. And so to inform our congregants, their families, and particularly our children of a worldview that helps them to understand that they are to be visible, verbal replicas of Jesus Christ is at the heart of biblical discipleship. Or I call it in my book, Kingdom Disciples. Visible, verbal representatives, heaven's representatives on earth. That's why he says, this is how you do it. First part is simple, go. Now you can study the word go in Hebrew, Greek, Ugaritic, Syriac, Aramaic, and go means go. It means don't stay. It was the word used in Matthew 10 when he says go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It meant I want you to now leave the sanctuary and enter the culture. You are to go. The benediction is the beginning, not the ending. You are to go because disciples do that. They, they you know, this is a nice gathering today and on Sunday, a couple of days from now, you'll have another nice gathering, but that'll be like a, a huddle in a football game. 100,000 people don't come to watch 11 grown men bend over. They don't come to see a huddle. They come to see what difference will the huddle make. They want to know, having huddled, can you now score? They want to know what you're going to do about 11 other men on the other side of the ball daring you to go public with your private conversation. When the benediction is given on Sunday and you break huddle, now the question is, is the team scoring? Or are we just waiting seven days for another huddle and a new play to be called? So the issue is to infiltrate the culture. I want you to go. I want you to go and now I want you to invade the culture with my authority. Because remember, I'm the only authorization here. Second thing he says is I want you to baptize them. I want you to baptize them. Baptize is from the Greek word baptizo. And in biblical days, it was used of a cloth maker. The cloth maker would Mother would come with some cloth because she wanted to make her daughter, her daughter a pink dress. She'd bring the cloth to the dye maker and say, I want to make my daughter a pink dress. Would you dye my cloth pink? The dye maker would take the pink and he would immerse it, the cloth, immerse it, hang it up, work off any extraneous coloring, let it dry, and now the lady had a pink cloth. 
So she could now go home and make a pink dress. The dye maker immersed it in a color to reclassify its identity. When Paul gives the theological meaning of this word, in Romans chapter six, baptized unto his death, buried with him in baptism, raised into new life, it had to do with identification, classification. That your identity now is to be Christian first, is to be Christ follower first. And everything must come through that grid. That is your new identity. Whenever I sign books, I sign Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, as Christ who lives in me, the life which I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The single greatest single verse in the Bible on your identity. I am crucified with Christ. I am a Christian. Now, the problem is most people quote that verse without the story that led to it. The story that led to it is in verse 11 of Galatians 2, before you get to chapter 20, when Peter stops eating pork chops with the Gentiles. Because some of his homeboys, Jews, show up, and they're upset that their Jewish leader is eating with the Gentiles. So Peter leaves. It says, and then, because they missed in the pulpit as a fog in the pew, the rest of the Jews who were with him left, it says. The problem is Paul showed up because he wanted some pig feet or something too. So he shows up now and Peter, Paul shows up and says, and when I saw that Peter was not acting in concert with the truth of the gospel, but wait a minute, Peter's a pastor, pastor in the most significant church there, Jerusalem. He is the leader. He is the preacher. He opened the doors of the church. He saw the sheet come down from heaven. Uh, wait a minute, we're not, just, we're not talking about a sinner, but Paul says, when I saw he was not acting in concert with the truth of the gospel. Ooh, that must mean that the gospel has to do with something more than just being converted for heaven. Peter's already saved. But he brings it and makes it a gospel message. He says, you're acting outside your true identity. You're not Jewish first. You're a Christ follower first. Then he quotes Galatians 2.20. So Galatians 2.20 is not some isolated verse. It's Paul quoting it to Peter who forgot who he was. And today we have too many Christians who forget who they are. And therefore do not represent Christ as a full-time job, but more as a part-time saint. How do you baptize him? He says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you trinitize them. It's trinity. Name singular, three pronouns, because these three are one. You trinitize them. In other words, you so orient them that there is a God center to all of life and that becomes their identity. They're not first black, they're not first white, they're not first Democrat, they're not first Republican, they're first Christian. I 
can't first say I'm a black Christian because then I make black an adjective, I make Christian a noun. The job of the adjective is to modify the noun. So if I got Christian in the a noun position, if I got my color in the adjectival position, I got to keep adjusting my noun of my Christianity to the adjective of my color. My Christianity must always be in the adjectival position. My color must always be in the noun position. So if anything changes, it's the noun of my humanity and not the adjective of my faith. I must be identified first as a Christ follower. And then everything around me adapts to that. He says, I want you to reclassify them. And so our goal must to reclassify as pastors and leaders, our people into a biblical Christ-centered worldview. And then he says, I want you to teach them. Third participle. What do you teach them? Pneumatology, ecclesiology, eschatology, angelology, apartheology. Mm -mm. Teach them to observe. Teach them how to live it out. Don't just give them academia so that they can pass tests and quote verses. Now to teach means you must, the mind must be engaged, but he says the engagement of the mind is not enough because the word of God must be activated in order to be made beneficial. If the word of God is unactivated by action, it lies dormant in terms of benefit. Now the Bible is not dormant, the word is not dormant, but its effect can be dormant because there is no observing of it. And only by observation is the word that is alive becoming alive individuals who are hearing it. That's why the Bible says, be not only hearers of the word, but doers. He says, teach them to observe all things. I mean, let's say you had to have a life-saving surgery. The doctor comes in. And the doctor explains that this is a live or die surgery, but I want to explain to you in detail everything we're going to do tomorrow on the operating table. You're appreciative of that. Your question is, Doc, how many times have you done this before? He says, well, you're my first. But I made an A in class on this subject. I, I'm, I'm in, I had impeccable grades all through my medical residency and training. So my grades argue that you're in good hands. Well, I don't know about you, but my confidence just died. <laughs> because I have two questions. How many times have you done it? And the second question is, and how, do, how them people doing? Because if, you, if you've done it a bunch of times and nobody made it, you're still not good enough. <laughs> because you don't just want information. You want people who do it, not just learn it. And then he closes. He says, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Now you can't see it in English, but in the Greek text, it reads, ego I me. It's called the ego I me construct. The ego I me construct means the word I is written twice. 
So it literally reads in Greek, I, even I, will be with you always, even until the end of the age. But when they wrote it, they didn't write the I twice. They just intensified the one I. So in King James, you read, and lo, I, means show enough me. In the previous verse, he says, baptize him in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He talks about the Trinity. But now he lifts himself out of the Trinity. And in the final verse, verse 20, he says, and I, not the Father, not the Spirit, me. Not the ones I talked about in the previous verse, just me. I will be with you always. The reason he says I and leaves the other two members of the Trinity out is because of what he says in verse 18. All authority has been given to me. So when he says I will be with you always, this is not talking about when you're sick, when you're depressed, when you're lonely, when you're struggling. There are plenty of other verses that cover that. He means I'm going to share my authority. Because he's talking about all authority is given unto me. If you are making disciples and if you are becoming a disciple, then I will share my authority because Jesus does not work with everybody equally. St. John chapter 2 verses 23 to 25, many believed in him, many got saved, but then it says, but he would not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. They were not all in yet. So even though they had believed in him, they had gotten saved, because they were not all in, he was not fully committed to them. So just because they're saved and in the sanctuary don't mean that they are fully experiencing the authority of Christ. Nor does it mean that the church is fully experiencing the authority of Christ because we're not involved in national discipleship. We don't, we don't want to disciple our whole communities because if we did, we would want those schools discipled and those capitals discipled and those political leaders discipled as this foundation is doing. But because the church doesn't have that view of discipleship, we have turned the institutions over to hell and say, you run them now. So it is time today for the church to rise up and build kingdom disciples who see that all of life comes under the rule of God, who reject Plato's thinking of secular and sacred, and who say, if Christ be not come, if Christ comes tomorrow, we don't have to worry about this. If he doesn't come for another hundred years, you better worry about this. It's your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. They're going to grow up in some kind of world, either one affected and infected by the church or one deserted by it. In closing, a man one day was on his honeymoon and he and his new bride were on their way to their first evening together at a hotel. And to get to it, they had to go down a country road. As they were going down the country road, it was a foggy evening. The bridegroom decided to pass an 18-wheeler that was in front of him. But he didn't see an oncoming van. There was a head-on collision. Toppling his car up into the air, collapsing it in a ditch where both he and his bride were knocked unconscious. He comes to first. 
and he looks over at the passenger side and he sees his bridegroom, bride gushing with blood. He knows that it will not be long before she bleeds out, but he's on this country road. What is he to do? And his fortune would have it. Just above him on a hill was a sign that said, Office of Dr. Bill Jones. How fortunate could it be that this accident happened at the foot of a doctor's office? He staggered around to the passenger side, picked up his beloved, and stumbled up the hill. Knocked on the door. An elderly gentleman comes to the door. And the man says, help, help, save her. The old man said, I, 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 I'm so sorry. I, I'm so sorry. I stopped practicing years ago. To which the young man said, mister, you have two choices. Save her or take down your sign. But don't have a sign up there that gives me the impression that if I show up here, you can turn this thing around. Don't, don't have a sign up there that gives the impression that if I show up here, you can make stuff better. Don't have a sign up there that gives me the impression if I come to your door hurting and broken that you can fix it and make it better. Your sign just lied to me. So don't have a sign up there that says Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't practice anymore. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we don't affect culture anymore. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have two choices. We're going to either practice being kingdom churches led by kingdom pastors who are building kingdom disciples, or we need to take down our sign so that we tell the truth when people show up at our door. God bless. All right, well, there you have it. Yet another mic drop moment from Dr. Tony Evans. And that was really quite emotional, this picture that he painted of a doctor having a sign on his door. And yet when someone comes up to the sign carrying a bloodied, wounded victim, him saying, I don't practice anymore, and how that's like the church. When we say we're not going to get involved in the culture, when the body of Christ says that we're, we're not here, we're not going to get involved in that we're like that doctor with false advertising. We say we have the answer and then we say we don't. Yeah, I, I think that's a great analogy. And, and I think it was particularly important to our pastors who we also shared with them and we'll share with you guys just our vision of our church ambassador network, right? That that is uh, a way that the church can engage. So we in our church ambassador network invite these pastors to actually come down to the Capitol to actually be a part of spiritual care for our legislators. They actually go in and pray with our legislators. Mike Marisi at this con at this conference was able to share his vision. He's our pastor guy that really works with these guys. And just this idea that we're going to engage in, a, in that, in that case, it's in a very spiritual manner. So it's something pastors should be very, very comfortable yeah. with. And we have session right around the corner. So this is very timely. Yeah, and they're not up there giving political advice. They are just, they are up there offering to pray 
with legislators on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, it's very is, powerful. It's nonpartisan, and it is it is the least political thing we do at the Family Foundation. It is purely spiritual gospel time, and so yeah. um, we think it's precious, and we think that if a pastor at least can do that, we've, we've started to put light into the darkness. And so the official title of this program initiative to connect pastors to pray with their representatives is um, Church Ambassador, Ambassador Network. Network. And they can find that on the website, right? Yep. Familyfoundation.org, Church yep. Ambassador Network. And if you're a pastor, there's a sign up for you to literally pick a day during session and come on down and pray with your, with uh, not just your legislator, but with legislators um, that morning. So I think the takeaway here is make sure your pastors hear these messages from Dr. Evans and let them know about the Church Ambassador Network. And with that said, I'll just remind you again of our upcoming action days. Make sure you have them on the calendar because this is for everybody, not just pastors, but for moms and dads, concerned citizens. So School Choice Day coming up January 24th. That's Wednesday. Mama and Papa Bear Day speaking up for parental rights. You and the Family Foundation are the only ones a lot of times that are speaking up for the family, the family being represented up as opposed to all the other lobbyists up there. So you need to be there. We're going to help you be there. That is February 15th, Thursday, February 15th. Mark your calendar and March for Life, Wednesday, February 21st. All three of those are key dates. Um, so start planning ahead now. It's just a day at the Capitol where we take you around, um, help you talk to your representatives to represent your your viewpoint as a biblically minded Christian or parent. And so, um, you know, I, I just want to make sure that everybody feels that they are empowered, has those dates in their mind. And thank you so much for joining us once again for Speak Up Virginia. Make sure you share the Speak Up Virginia playlist. If you're listening on one of the audio platforms, Spotify or Apple, it really helps if you can give us a review that helps uh, get our program out there to more people. If we get a five-star review, if you like what you're hearing. And with that said, remember, we are stronger when we speak together. <laughs>